So you were a public defender for two years. And then what was next? Yeah, so after that, I transitioned into what we generally call civil litigation. So I was was doing workers' compensation injury claims. Uh, I was doing... Uh, personal injury lawsuits, car and truck and motorcycle wrecks, uh, wrongful death lawsuits, people that have been killed by a defective product or drunk Mm. driver, things like that. Um, So I was doing a lot of that. And then I was also doing business lawsuits. So breach of contract lawsuits, um, business partners fighting with each other over breach of fiduciary duties, uh, embezzlement, you know, stuff like that. So, um, so I, I did civil litigation after that for the next about 11 or so years, um, oh. 10 of those years at, at one law firm, a small boutique litigation law firm in Leewood. Um, and that's, that's where I kind of really cut my teeth in that civil litigation world. And one of the partners at that firm who became a real friend and a mentor, Rick Moorfield, is now one of my law partners at my current law firm. Mm. That's how we met. Um, kind of led into everything we're doing now. So you did that for 10 years. Um, actually, before we get it past that, uh, partnerships. I mean, <laughs> it seems from my experience in business, it's pr- probably not the go-to first choice when starting a business. Yeah. Uh, you've got to... What's the percentage? Like success rate. You talked about success rate earlier about public defenders. Yeah. But. You know, I, I need to look up the statistics. I, I hear things like, you know, 70 or 80% of all businesses fail within their first five years. I, I don't know what the numbers actually yeah. are, but I know it's a lot. Yeah. Um, most of the lawsuits we dealt with, not most, a lot of the lawsuits we dealt with were because partners got at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. And what they had really failed to do was be intentional with their partnership. They didn't write anything down. Yep. They didn't actually talk about the hard issues and agree on what they should do if they got crossways. That that was the biggest problem. So I think I actually think partnership is really, really beautiful. And if you take a biblical perspective and apply it, like we're designed and created as humans to be in community. Yeah. And clearly that applies to marriage, that applies to the local church. I think it it can really beautifully apply to business as well. But all of the truths that apply to marriage and church apply to business too. You've got to be honest and you've got to trust people. You have to communicate clearly. You have to be humble. Mm-hmm. You can't come into it for the wrong reasons, just looking to either build yourself up or yeah. chasing the almighty dollar. Like there's just all these principles that I I think we're doing a better job in the the faith at work world these days of talking about those things. But for a long time, people said, I'm a Christian over here in my marriage and in my church, but business is business and it's about making money and I'm going to do what I got to do because this is how God told me to provide for myself. And that, that conversation got real twisted real fast starting in like the fifties and, and beyond. So how much does second Corinthians 614 come in where, He's talking about do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for partnership has righteousness with lawlessness for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, lawlessness, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, my, my recollection of that scripture is he's talking primarily about um, people in the church. And so, um, and not only in the church, but then the, the people of the church at that time, 
living the the hedonistic lifestyle of mm-hmm. their culture, mm-hmm. right? So I think he was trying to say to them, you can't say that you're a follower of Jesus and of the way, but then still have these idols or participate in these cultural festivals or, you know, participate in the sexual immorality of the yeah. community around you, you know? So I, I think that was the original context, which is which helpful, but the there is, I think, a principle that can be extrapolated and applied. I don't think it's a hard and fast, a Christian should never be a business partner with a non-Christian. I don't think that's what it means. Um, I think it's a stronger emphasis in the marriage realm. Although even then I've I've seen some really beautiful relationships where one person was a, a true follower of Jesus and the other was open to the idea, but not yet. And then through that relationship, they've found their own, yes. you know, which yes. which is beautiful and wonderful. So I think yep. there's some value in that conversation in the marriage world. But in the business world, I've I've leaned more towards the scriptures that talk about the kind of people that we're supposed to be and the way we're supposed to engage in a relationship with people that we're in business with, whether that's as a partner, as an employer or an employee. Um dealing with vendors or clients or customers and, you know, the community at large. So I I had lunch with an attorney just the other day who is a wonderful, wonderful follower of Jesus and is in partnership with a non-Christian. And we had a great conversation that she loves it because she's able to share some of her faith with her partner because they have an open and trusting relationship. Um, But the reason they get along really well is they have the same value system. And for my friend, that value system comes from scripture for her business partner. That value system maybe is informed by humanism or secularism or Buddhism or something else, but the values are the same. It's how do we treat each other? How do we do things the right way? How do we make our world a better place? So I absolutely think it can be done. And if, if someone is in partnership with a non-believer, I encourage them to view it as an opportunity. It's, it's really a mission field. Yeah. And so if they're engaging in business the right way, they're treating their partner the right way, it can be a beautiful opportunity that can lead to some really great conversations. And frankly, if that partnership fails, the the person who's following Jesus should be able to say, not my will, Lord, but yours. And that's okay. And you're going to provide, you'll create another opportunity. You're not going to let me fall all the way down to destitute if I'm if I'm doing things the right way and I'm following you. Would you so, say practically uh, do your due diligence? Yeah, absolutely. So operating agreement. <laughs> my role is this. Your role is this. Yes. This happens and this needs to happen. Or uh, if we get down to the you know last straw, then what are they out? What's the out here? Absolutely. Right? It's like get all those things in order. I think a lot of people have run away with from that. Yes. Because they don't think it's necessary. They oh, we're friends. We're buddies. Like yep. none of that's going to happen. Yes, it will. It will happen. It will. Uh, And I think for me personally, I'm a huge believer in not ever getting too comfortable, not ever getting too comfortable where you stop being professional and relying on an operating agreement. And I think a lot of times, even I'm so guilty of this with my wife is I say the dumbest things when I get too comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. And it's my wife. It's my other half. But I firmly believe I am at my best when I'm very um, watchful of what I'm doing. I'm very aware of what I'm saying. And like you always, like you were saying earlier, is it being intentional yeah. with my words and not just blurting things out. Yeah. And I, I, I believe that with partnerships, 
never getting too comfortable is going to be the first step. Keep it always, yeah. always keeping it professional. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you're absolutely right. People that go into business with friends and family, um, I encourage people to be m- even more detailed in those situations. Right. Honestly, and the way I tell them is because yeah. if you really want to protect this relationship, the only way to do it is to communicate your expectations clearly. Yes. And don't look at it as I'm making you sign a partnership agreement. Sit down and say, I want to preserve our relationship, our friendship, our brotherhood, whatever it might be. The only way to do that is to clearly define our expectations and our roles. And then if we both live up to it, it's going to be a beautiful thing. But it also really gives a nice opportunity when you feel like someone is falling you can say to them, hey, as your brother, as your friend, I'm worried about you, but also you committed to this. And I'm trying to do my best to live up to this commitment. And I want you to as well. What's going on? Mm. What's wrong? Why are you struggling? Why does this seem like we're facing this issue? And more often than not, there's something, again, going on behind the scenes, deeper either in their heart or in their life. And if you have that doorway to have that conversation because of the operating agreement, because of your core principles, your commitment, whatever other documents you put together, and we've got like four of them in my partnership that we use with my partners and with our employees to try to define those expectations. Sure. And we have referred back to those over the last nine or 10 years, multiple times yeah. that have led to really, really valuable personal conversations. Mm. It's really a beautiful thing if you use it intentionally. So maybe it's always lay out detailed expectations, rules, guidelines, all that. Um, But then when the emotions are high, right? If there's an emotional connection, you got to double down on those. Yes. Because when those, that emotional, it's like when you feel very emotionally connected to someone, that's when you really start um, letting things just go instead of sticking to the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if you can use those those documents, those formalities as a buffer, yeah, a little bit, it it does help dissuade some of that emotion sometimes. So we have about uh, twenty minutes left. I want to squeeze as much as I can in here. Yeah. So first question: uh, What is the most common error that you see with uh, new business owners? What what is that error they're making? Yeah, we actually just hit on it. It's failing to follow the formalities that will help your business be successful. Hands down, that's what I see the most. It starts with when they organize the company. First of all, they don't pay any attention to what kind of entity they're forming and how they're different and why a different entity is maybe good or bad in a particular circumstance. So LLC versus an S Corp versus a C Corp. You should talk to somebody and choose that right. But then that's only the beginning. You need to then have your documents in place, your operating agreement, your bylaws, your buy-sell agreement, your partnership agreement, all these Mm. different things. Most people just go on to some of these crazy websites that I'm not even going to name. And they start their own LLC and they get their tax ID number and then that's it. And they fail to do anything else. So that's absolutely. So first thing is they fail the document, but really uh, the first cousin to that is they fail to treat the business as a completely separate person and they treat it as if it's right. Right. So you have got to start a separate bank account, get a separate credit card account, run all of your business expenses through your business accounts, personal expenses through personal accounts, separate tax returns, separate financial statements. People fail to do that all the time. And what 
a lot of people don't understand is that you might have a company that's supposed to give you protections in lawsuits so that your personal assets are safe. If you have not kept a separation between your personal and your business, especially with your finances, those legal protections go away. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So it's the, the term is it's called piercing the corporate veil. And basically, if an owner has commingled funds, personal and corporate funds, if they, is, if they have used their business as what the courts call the alter ego of themselves, just treating it like it's their own slush fund, their own vacation fund, taking the tax benefits. If you haven't kept a separation between your business and your personal, you no longer have the protection of that corporate entity. So if that company gets sued and that company owes somebody money, you personally owe that person money to. Mm. You can't just take corporate bankruptcy and hide from it. Mm. So you got to document it well, but then you've got to operate it well too. Otherwise you've completely lost all of the benefit of even going through the the corporate process. Is there ever a time that somebody should operate as a sole proprietor without getting an LLC? Yeah, it's um, a lot of people will do that. And, and that's okay if you're in a business that there's just really, really low liability risk. Um, that's the main reason to start. A, well, there's two main reasons to start a company of some kind. Um, one is tax benefits. There's yeah. just a lot of tax benefits. Right. You get taxed at a different rate. You can take write-offs and deductions. You can run things as business expenses that are legitimate. So you can save money, give the government less, keep more for yourself and use it the way God's directing you to use it. So that's a really big benefit. But the other benefit then is that liability protection. So sole proprietors, you're just, it's you. And if your company gets sued, then you're sued. And if the company owes money, then you owe money. Um, so that's why I don't, I don't like it. But if you're in a really low risk type of service industry, maybe it, it's fine for a while, but, um, Typically, I recommend if people get to where they're more than 50% of their income, they need to form a corporate entity. So, you know, if you're just doing a, a side hustle, you're driving Uber, you're doing whatever, you got an Etsy shop, that's fine. That's super low risk. And it's if you're making 20% of your income on that, it's probably okay to just run it yourself. But I mean, if it's your main thing, you absolutely should have some kind of corporate protection. Okay. Um what are successful businesses in operation? What are they doing right on top of what you just said? Yeah, yeah. So everything we just said is the foundation. Um, in my opinion, the next best thing people can do is take good care of their people internally first. And that means taking care of, if you have a partner or partners, take care of your relationship with your partners be intentional about staying on the same page with the goals of the business, the values of the business. Mm -hmm. That's really, really key. That's the core. That next concentric circle is take care of your people that you work with. If you've got employees, if you've got regular vendors, 1099 contractors you work with, treat them right, do right by them, take care of them. Um, and then next after that, treat the customer well. Um, I think the companies that do things right, that that is a slower growth model sometimes. And because you're putting money and time and effort into your people first, and that's not generating revenue immediately, uh, treating clients the right way sometimes costs a little more money. But long term, if you're in it for the long term, you will have a better business, a more stable business, and your growth curve is going to be exponentially higher than if you are treating people the wrong way. You're going to stick around for a long time. 
But the other thing I like to talk with clients about is once you've you made sure that you're doing things the right way as the owner, you're treating your people well, you're treating your customers well, that's really good for our community too. And I, I spend a, a fair amount of time talking with clients about all of our collective obligation to our community around us. And not we're not just in it for ourselves to make money. That's like one factor of many that I think business should be about. If, if we're doing it for the right reasons and in the right way, we're going to have a better community, which is meeting people's needs. We're all going to benefit from that. It's going to be a whole lot more enjoyable in life. And for me, that's that's an element of partnering with God to restore his peace to this world the way it was designed to be back in the garden. Like mm. we're called to partner with him in restoring creation to what it was meant to be. And so much of that is not just global warming and physical restoration, but it's relational restoration. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of Christians might struggle with um, just with the Bible kind of steering people away from lawsuits. What are your thoughts on a Christian suing either another Christian or even, I mean, you sometimes you don't even know if they're Christian or not. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so from a real fundamental perspective that, that scripture, um, it, it does talk, specifically about fellow believers and yeah. the, you know the context is it comes back to the relational discussion we've been having which is yeah. you should treat people the right way and approach things the right way and you should try to resolve your problems first because the world's going to know us by the way we love each other that's what jesus said and so if we're not loving each other well and we're just out there fighting amongst ourselves sometimes honestly lawsuits are the least of the concern in our witness to the world. People are looking at the church and the way that we fight interdenominationally or yeah. over, you know, political issues or whatever. But it's, I think it's part of that same context. So much of it is how we treat each other. Um, but using the court system itself, especially if you, if you have been wronged and you don't have any other way to seek recourse, I don't have a problem with it. And that's why I've done it for much of my career. It's, it's honestly, for me, an issue of justice in many situations. If someone has been unjustly harmed or wronged, or even in the criminal defense, if they've been wrongly accused, God is a God of justice, just as he is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness, mm -hmm. right? And so there's this element of justice that if we can be an agent of justice, but not justice in a punitive sense, but justice in a restorative sense. Um, and um the Old Testament, there's a couple of different words that are translated into justice and judge. And I don't remember exactly what the terms are. I'd probably butcher them if I tried. But one of them talks about God as a retributive judge who is just bringing punishment because someone's evil has reached such a level that it's time for them to be punished. Sure. You know. But then really more when it talks about judge and justice, it's this idea of restorative or trying to put back what is broken make something whole again because it's fallen apart. Mm. So um, even in when I'm dealing with lawsuits, I'm very much focused on that restorative element of the justice. And that for me would mean if someone was involved in a car wreck and they were injured and they needed to have their medical bills paid for and they needed to have their lost wages reimbursed and they're entitled to have money for their pain and their suffering or they need money for future therapies and treatments, all of that should be considered, but to me, restorative justice is pursuing the maximum amount that they're rightly entitled to, no more, no less. Mm. 
and not trying to game the system to get more than they might be entitled to because it's a good payday for them or it's a good payday for me. Because that to me is that's that's justice for the other person too. Whether it's someone that individually caused the harm, whether it's an insurance company, whether it's a business, if I'm out there trying to get every last dollar I can get and I'm doing it the wrong way, that's going to come back around. That's not who I'm called to be as a follower of Christ and that's not good for community either. So it's pursuing that restorative justice in in my mind when you when you're a believer and this system is what we have to live in in America using that system properly I don't have a problem with it. But I would say mm-hmm. that if if the person on the other side is a fellow believer and you know it I would hope that litigation would be a last resort. Yeah. 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 And even going back to uh, the system the government is ordained by God. Yes. For this reason. Right. To to uh, um, issue justice. Yep. And to, I mean, it actually says bring wrath to evil, right? And I think that is what really helps me be at peace at this is once it is something that's relating um, civilly, maybe in the outside, you know, outside of the church with amongst not believers, um, and you've really tried everything, then it's ordained by God for the government to handle it, right? Which is why murderers go to jail and all those things happen right. because it's ordained by God. And I think a lot of times just me remembering that and respecting that helps. Um, so how are you bringing your faith to your business? <laughs> yeah, um, it's I love it. It's so in 2014 that Rick Moorfield that I, that I mentioned earlier – uh, him and and I, and then a friend that he knew who was a lawyer, Stan Bachman, uh, another wonderful man of God. Um, the three of us all had kind of been on our own personal journeys, feeling like God was calling us to something different in our work, but we didn't. Mm. We all maybe had different ideas what that looked like, but we were all in this same season of exploration. And through a number of what seemed like really random circumstances at the time, but now we see we feel very ordained. Um, I had a conversation with Rick while I was still working at the law firm that he was a partner at. And I just told him I felt like God was calling me to do something different. And I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, I hoped he wouldn't just fire me because I was telling him I was thinking of leaving. And he was very gracious, but led to a conversation that he had been thinking about doing something different as well for his own reasons. He knew Stan had been thinking about wanting to Stan was a solo attorney at the time. Stan had some interest in being in partnership, you know, with some other attorneys. So through that process, we just started meeting and talking. And and for me, what I felt really strongly about was whatever we did, I wanted wanted it to be intentionally faith-based. And by that, what I meant was not that we would be a nonprofit, not that we would only work with Christians, not that we would only serve churches. For us, it was about who were we going to be at our core how are we going to conduct ourselves and how are we going to relate to everyone around us that we talked about earlier, uh, our people, our clients, other attorneys, the courts, vendors, and then the community at large. And so we, we just had a really long conversation over probably six or eight months, just trying to figure out what that was going to look like. Mm. And we ended up starting this law firm in November of 2014 And the way we really structured it and it's fleshed itself out differently over the years, but we said we're faith-based at our core. Our operating agreement 
between the three of us has scripture references all throughout it. We, we have a statement of faith that it starts with that we commit to. Our core principles are tied to scripture verses. Um, we said this is who we commit to being with each other as partners of this enterprise. Um, and then we said, okay, well, the way we're going to interact with our people, we developed an employee commitment form. And that employee commitment form is something that the three of us as partners sign and all of our staff sign every year. And all of the principles we know come from scripture, but we don't have scripture tied to it because we're willing to work with anybody that commits to these values of honesty sure. and integrity and treating people the right way and all, you know, all these different things that we, that we hold dearly. Um, so we started, so then we do that and that's how, what guides us with our relationships with everybody. But then we really wanted to do something that was more than just earning a living or being another law firm. We wanted to somehow take our faith that we were applying inwardly and also turn it outward into the community. So, um, we've developed a community service initiative where we do a service project with all of our staff once a quarter and we'll feed the homeless. We'll, um, work with single moms. We'll do mm. cleanup jobs for, you know, handicapped families, you know, whatever it might be, we'll just find a service project that all of us can participate in. That's one initiative. The other is what we call our pro bono initiative or free legal work initiative. And through that, we partner with local ministries that have somebody in their program who has some kind of a legal need that, that they can't fix themselves and it's hindering their ability to continue to grow mm. or heal or, or move down their path. Um, so we'll partner with these ministries and say, if you have people in your program that have legal problems they can't fix, send them to us. We will represent them for free. We'll help them clear up their legal problem. And then once that hurdle is removed, they can continue on with you down whatever path that they were on. Mm. So we've worked with, um, you know, single moms who need to get out of abusive relationships. We've worked with single moms who need help with their children. Um, we've helped children mm. have guardians appointed because mom and dad are both either delinquent or absent. Um, we've worked with youth aging out of foster care to clean up criminal records or help them do a name change. Uh, we had one client, uh, she was like 19 and her parents had taken out credit cards in her name, using her social security racked up who knows how many tens of thousands of dollars of debt in her name. You know, so she ages out of foster care. We're able to help her get a fresh start name change, move on from all that identity theft, stuff like that. And then more recently, I've been really passionate about trying to trying to figure out what can I do to solve the the human sex trafficking problem that we've got mm. in our world. And that's been really, really heavy on my heart the last couple of years. So we've had the chance to work with some different ministries that are providing services to those women, um, supporting the entities themselves, helping them form their nonprofit, you know, do things like that. But then we've also worked directly with a number of women, uh, help them clear up criminal charges help them have old criminal records expunged off their records so they can apply for a job and mm. apply for an apartment, you know, things like that. But that we really just felt like we need to be who we are as believers in the way that we operate our firm. But like we mentioned at the very beginning, our faith has to turn into works as well. Yeah. It's, and so we've tried to do that by using our specific skill set as lawyers to meet people that have a specific need that no one else can meet. I mean, as lawyers, we literally have a monopoly on our industry. Nobody else in the world can do what we're allowed to do. So if we're not using that to bring peace and restoration to people, 
nobody else can. So right. we're, we're pretty passionate about that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, how can people find more info about you guys? Yeah. So I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I think just, just my name. I didn't get super creative with users. <laughs> uh, but then our website, msblawkc.com. It's a great way to find out more about us. Excellent. Thank you again for sharing your story and your expertise. This has been an absolute pleasure of mine. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.